0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike
1: Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Wednesday. Hard to believe it's already July 13th. The month is about halfway over. And earlier today, folks, the inflation trade made its return. Consumer price index was released this morning 9.1% inflation year over year. We're going to talk in segment 2 with Garrett Toy from Ag Trader Talk about that issue. And in segment 3, we're going to chat with Ethan Lane, the Vice President of Government Affairs at NCBA. We continue to see the cattle and beef markets take center stage here in Washington DC and Ethan will have an update for us. And in segment 4, we're going to talk with Andy Campbell. He's the Marketing and Machinery Trends Director at Tractor Zoom about just what's going on with used machinery prices out there in the countryside. Before we jump into all of that, however, I've got to say I am still here in Washington, D.C., downtown in the nation's capital with my friends from the National Corn Growers Association, and I'm joined today by Greg Krisek. He's the CEO of Kansas Corn, and he has been serving on the Triazine Network for nine years, and we're gonna talk atrazine. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Mike, happy to be here. I tell you what, atrazine is a topic that has come under a lot of conversation here in D.C. this past. Greg, you have been following this issue for some time, and I like to emphasize how important it is to have somebody who's watching these issues in D.C. Bring us up to speed. From the 90s till now, how many changes have we seen in atrazine?
0: Well, we've seen quite a few. The Triazine Network, which was founded in 1995, is an alliance of um, commodity and farm organizations, corn, sorghum, sugarcane, fruits and vegetables, farm bureaus, state farm bureaus, and our national counterparts, um, to be the growers' voice for this uh, uh, use and existence of this very important crop protection tool. And as we have seen farmers change the way they farm over that time period even in the last you know five to ten years especially with the advent of widespread of no-till or limited till this crop protection tool um, is very important and it happens to be a product that is probably the most monitored and most tested um, in history of crop protection tools it works um, growers need it and once again um, it's under attack by EPA
1: and it's not new this is not new technology this is a 60 year old chemical. We've used in the industry with widespread success, and now EPA is looking to crack down specifically, as I understand it, Greg, on the amount of atrazine in water that's what all of this discussion circles back to doesn't it
0: or the modeling of the potential for it to get into water or be in runoff and you're right um, atrazine as a product over these years has become integral in nearly 90 different formulations so while a grower may look at the list and not think of it as Atrazine first. Um, it's often what's in there making the new formulations work in all these products, and, and sometimes growers may not realize that. Um, so yes, there's a regulatory system that EPA wants to use, and it's called a CLAC, where a level of concern as it relates to ecological and water. Ultimately, you know how much algae is growing, or what's it doing to algae, um, and The system that they proposed, they actually proposed in 2016. Agriculture came out um, in droves, 30,000 comments about how needed this product is and how bad it would be to, in essence, create a system which makes it um, very, very difficult to use. Um, It's not really an outright ban, but it would serve as um, a real restriction on uh, the practices farmers would have to implement. So that's why when EPA again, just last week, rolled it out again at this proposed 3.4 parts per billion sea lock, um we are beginning the fight. Yes, and so that's 3.4 parts per billion of atrazine
1: in the water. And I understand that EPA and industry had previously come together about 14 or 15 parts per billion. How much would that change the the potential impact of this regulation, if they went up to 15?
0: Well, 15 is the law of the land today. Um, and first of all, if we look at sound science and the, si- and the science that says where the levels should be, frankly, it, it, it can be much higher than that. Um, previous to 2020, it had been at 10 parts per billion. Mm-hmm. And EPA said, well, let's take it to 3.4. But We showed the science, farmers and scientists showed the science that say, in some cases it should be more like 28 or 30, and that would be still protective of the environment. EPA has done a similar path with human health and found triazine to be very good and very doable in the environment at at these low levels. So um, the sound science is our focus if we can uh, show, and, and so we agreed, In and EPA codified in 2020, 15 parts per billion. Okay, we're fine. That's that's what the law of the land is. If they let it sit there, we'd be done. This issue'd be under the table. It's not ideal. It's not the soundest of science, but we can live with it. Okay, Um, but now it's back to it. Really was. Always 3.4 is what EPA says, and this other 15 really wasn't a true standard, which we disagree with. So there is a mechanism that is first and foremost what we want. It's called the Scientific Advisory Panel. If EPA will hold that and let objective scientists review all of these studies that are available, some newer than even some new science, even since 2016, which EPA says they've recognized, but they've never gone on record as recognizing. Because from years ago, there were a number of studies that cannot be replicated that we call bad science, and we think that's what EPA is relying on. Gotcha. So the idea of, a, of an SAP, this panel, would be putting all of these
1: studies in front of experts in the field and let them determine which ones EPA needs to be considering, is that the idea?
0: Yes, and through atrazine's history, there have been, I think, three of these scientific advisory panels. We have always felt that when the panel is held and the process is appropriate, the scientists find that atrazine is fine at these higher thresholds um, as they should be found. Sometimes we think EPA has ignored the scientists, so we have to be diligent, but we will need the process and the venue to present the sound science and and our public comment. And there there is a public comment that is open now through September 6th, as of right now, where we again will ask for farmers and our goal will be to match those 30,000 comments of farmers' individual stories of how these tools help them do their work in the
1: field. Greg, how can farmers go to make those comments? We just Google uh, EPA
0: antrazine regulations? Um, so. National Corn Growers Association will be starting a call to action um, here within a few days and um, most corn producers should be um, seeing that and the um, it's the most modern technology of how to click and point to make your comment. Um, that will happen. Um, there is agsense.org, which is the Triazine network. And then many states, uh, f- corn organizations and other farm organizations will be doing their individual outreach um, to make it easy to comment.
1: Perfect. Folks, get on there. Make those voices heard. If you use Antrazine on your operations, get active. Check out your commodity orgs and see how you can get those comments in. That was Greg X, CEO of Kansas Corn. Greg, thanks for joining. Yes, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And folks, stick around. We'll talk to Garrett Toy from Ag Trader Talk when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. We here at the American
2: Ag Network enjoy and celebrate our freedom and independence, and we want you to safely enjoy and celebrate your freedom and independence with us. Did you know that July 4th was not deemed a federal holiday until 1870? That's nearly 100 years after the nation was founded. The Declaration of Independence was written on a laptop. Okay, not a modern laptop, but Thomas Jefferson did draft the Declaration of Independence on a writing desk that could fit onto one's lap. That device was referred to as a laptop. An old adage among corn farmers is knee-high by the 4th of July, meaning that if one's corn stalks were at least as high as an adult's knees by Independence Day, they could expect a good harvest, and corn stalks can actually grow as tall as 13 feet high. And sweet corn, that variety that most Americans will be grilling and boiling for cookouts, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the united states please celebrate our independence safely and responsibly this july with us at the american ag network
1: join us every tuesday for around the table brought to you by chs where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership each week we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative and we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
3: Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Ironman.
4: But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing
5: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
6: I like that
2: too.
5: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
1: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Boy, I tell you what, there has been a lot of data to move the markets over the past 24 hours. Yesterday, we saw the July WASDE report from the USDA had some updates to carry outs there. We're going to talk about that with Garrett Toy from Ag Trader Talk in just a minute. And then this morning, we had the CPI data come out that consumer price index up 9.1% from a year ago, up 1.3% from a month earlier. Fastest gains in inflation, we've seen since 1981. Big shocks, moving money around in the global financial markets. Well, Garrett Toy, ag trader, talk. Thanks for joining us today. How you doing?
7: Doing great this morning. How are you?
1: Not too bad, Garrett. Let's talk first about this inflation number. You know, I was watching the grain trade overnight, and it seemed like we had some weakness. And then that 9.1 figure came out, and corn's kind of off to the moon. Here is that inflation trade back on.
7: No, it's going to be tough to bring that fund money back in the market. In in fact, um, you know, I think that... The, the trend is though is when we get these CPI prints, we do tend to get a reactionary bounce every month out of these reports. But uh, as we've all witnessed here in the last, you know, four to six weeks, uh, a lot of the fund liquidation has been on the macro, and we even saw some more yesterday after the the WASDE report, where apparently there was still some more money market links that wanted to exit the markets. Um, so, but this. So that raises the question you know are these cpi numbers uh you know accurate you know you know if the, you've got one side of the coin where people are saying well if the the government's reporting this, it's actually higher uh, but at the same time we've got gasoline prices that are down seven percent uh, from last month, you've got commodity, you know, the green ag prices are a little lower, but that's only a segment of it. Now the, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics did say that, you know, half of this increase from last month was largely energy. Um, and you got to remember that the CPI numbers are backwards looking. Um, but, um, you know, you, you have other segments such as housing and, uh, rental cars. And, and actually they said that, the uh, two segments that actually declined from last month were uh, uh, lodging away from home, so hotel so hotel stays, um, and, and that was about the only thing that really came down. So, you know, while the ags may be declining here from last month, there's other segments of the, the economy that are still, or the other segments of the inflation numbers, they're still relatively high, housing, rentals, things of that sort. So that, that other shoe hasn't dropped yet. Now... The the aspect of that is, is we've had this dollar rally, and you know we had, uh, and the other aspect is interest rates, you know, and we've got one of the higher, in, we've got one of the higher inflation prints, you know, globally, but we also have one of the higher interest rates out here as well. So um, it makes me kind of wonder if that's not the reason why the dollar is rallying is because the, 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 the Federal Reserve has been a little bit ahead of the, the curve, if you will. Uh, raising interest rates and the rest of the world is kind of lagging. Now, Bank of Canada raised their interest rates by a full point today to two and a half percent. So the rest of the world is starting to catch up. So I'm wondering if if, if that might put some pressure on the dollar here at some point.
1: Well, Garrett, I want to circle back to that WASDE report that was released yesterday. Not a lot of huge surprises. Were there any statistics from uh, Uncle Sam there that jumped out at you?
7: Not really, I mean, they raised uh, they raised corn carryout by 25 million bushel on a seed and residual cut. You know, I'm okay with the carryout increase because I was expecting the cut to come from exports. Um, now, we may see an additional cut in subsequent reports that these exports don't improve, which, you know, with the South American values where they're that doesn't seem like that's too probable. Uh, bean carryouts uh, were bought in, in line. You know, there was nothing real surprise there. Um, I think what the USDA is trying to tell us, um, this is the second straight month in a row where we've had carryout increases in corn, so, you know, impacts of higher prices are impacting demand. Uh, but they're also trying to tell us, I think, that, um, you know, world soybean demand is is, is slowing. We, the big thing was is that they cut uh, Chinese soybean imports, again, for uh, both old crop and new crop. They cut uh, old crop by, by 2 million metric ton to 90 million metric ton. And they cut uh, new crop by by one to 98 million per ton. And between that, you know, we had reduced acres in the June acreage in here in the U.S., but South America is going to offset that. Um, so I mean, we're we've got slowing demand out here globally, but potentially rising uh, rising acres globally as well with, with South American acres increasing. But you know, I see a lot of comments about well, the USDA was, re- was responsible for the sell off in the ags day. I don't think that was the case at all. I think there was just the second report in a row, the June acreage report, the July WASDE where I think that the managed money was looking for bullish numbers to sell into because they're they're liquidating this inflation trade. I don't think the USDA numbers had anything to do with the sell off yesterday.
1: You know, Garrett, you highlighted. I think it was in your morning comments, either today or yesterday, the report from the USDA ag attaché from China that they believe hog feed demand is coming back. Is this based on the strength of this Chinese stimulus they're talking about out there?
7: Well, they're really struggling between the COVID shutdowns and whatnot. But um, you know, that's and that's the risk is is that uh, ultimately that the Chinese demand does come back later in the year because. With well, the Chinese import numbers that we got this morning for soybeans, which are 8.250 million metric ton, in order to reach that new 90 million metric ton USDA China soybean import number, they only need to import 21 million metric ton in July, August, and September. And that's the, that would be their lowest import total since 2013-14, which seems kind of hard to believe. Um, you know, but I think that some aspect is that um, you know you still have logistical issues. You've got COVID lockdowns over there. Um, you know, they're still auctioning off, you know, beans out of state reserves, you know, half a million metric ton essentially every two weeks that are going to have to be bought back and replenished at some point. So, um, you know, I, I think that I'm not as negative The Chinese demand as what the USDA seems to be um, because I think, that, uh, I think that with these prices that you're seeing in hog prices there, ultimately that's going to help margins and we could see a rebound in the fourth quarter
1: all right well garrett as long as we're talking livestock you know one of the things i noticed from that cpi report is that year over year cost of groceries are up 12 percent. that's the fastest since 1979 and of course meats have accelerated more than that so i'm wondering looking out at the cattle market here we've again seen incredible consistency in that market even with all of the gyrations here recently in the outside trade Garrett, where do cattle go throughout this summer
7: well <laughs> You know that's the thing is, is I'm actually I've been the case, but it's it, it, not just cattle, but hogs. You know the entire meat complex has been supportive, uh, and they're getting a little bit of a kick in the seat here with with uh, uh, with the lower grain prices. But they've been largely insulated from all this macro pressures in the last four to six weeks. You know they, we're we're playing we're playing chicken with a freight train here. Is, is I think that ultimately cattle can move back towards that 140 level, but I think that the the we we know that there's a recession coming or we think there's a recession coming at some point and where does that hit? You know, now people are getting a reprieve you know, at the gas pumps, gasoline prices are down and it's, it's you know, we're, we're, we're having victory laps over 475 gasoline here. It's still almost five bucks, but it is off its highs. And if that translates into more, you know, demand for you know, going out for a steak on Saturday night versus what they're paying, paying at the pump, that's actually friendly demand here. But the risk is, uh, you know, I think that I'm, friend, I'm friendly cattle. I think that we can push higher, but the risk is when, when, this, when this recession comes, and that's the $64,000 question. My personal, I, I think the fourth quarter comes, I see a lot more comments. that might be first quarter 2023 or second quarter 2023, but I'm, I'm actually fr- fairly friendly to fall cattle in here.
8: Well,
1: and I'm glad you brought up that, that 2023 number. You know, I just pulled up the board here. Feb 23 is at 151. Live cattle April's at 154. June at 149. If for recessions coming, Garrett, that'd be the timeline. Do you want to sell these levels in here?
7: Uh, I think we get a little bit more pressure in here. I mean, actually, the spread's have acted fairly well. Um, but, I, I, you know, if we get towards that 155 level in, 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 uh, in, in April above, I would be looking at looking some downside coverage there.
1: All right, Garrett. Looking out at the week ahead, of course, we've got producer price index. We've got retail sales coming later in this week. Are all these things just going to continue to move that macro money flow?
7: It will. It just still feels like the the, the worm is turned here in the in the ags. I mean, there's there's it's going to be tough to bring that money back in. Um, I think that a lot of that is headed for the door. Now, that being said, is I think the market, given the sell off, the market is in stronger hands here. Uh, commercial ownership has improved, you look at the producers, short and soybeans as well, um, you know, it's, it's moved out of the money markets, man, managed money's hand into the commercial hand, um, and so, you know, we can see a, a if we have a weather issue, and it looks like the last half of the month of July is going to be hot and dry, uh, some of that money will be back, but I'm fairly certain that the near-term highs are probably in.
1: All right, folks. Well, you heard it here from Garrett Toy. He is the publisher of Ag Trader Talk. You can find him on Twitter at Ag Trader Talk. Garrett, always appreciate your insight. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And folks, you can hear more from Garrett this weekend on This Week in Agribusiness, but stick around for more AOA. We're going to talk to Ethan Lane from NCBA here when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up.
9: The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SavedByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit savebythescan.org. It could save your life. Savebythescan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council.
1: The American Coalition for Ethanol is hosting its 35th annual conference in Omaha, Nebraska, Wednesday, August 10th through Friday, August 12th. This must-attend event for industry leadership features timely updates on ethanol public policy, market development, board of director training, and more. This event combines the detail of high-level training courses with all the fun of a family reunion. For event details, visit ethanol.org. That's ethanol.org.
8: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, mixed action is seen in the grain trade as Court is trying to lead us to the upside. We have inflation again making headlines this morning following the release of the June Consumer Price Index data. That's setting the tone for tomorrow's producer price index followed by retail sales data to be released on Friday. These three data sets providing the backdrop of Wall Street sentiment ahead of the Federal Reserve's next policy meeting in two weeks. The VIX near 28 this morning reflecting elevated levels of fear on Wall Street. The dollar index trading just below yesterday's 19-year high at 108.3. The June CPI hit a new 41-year high at 9.1%, up from 8.6% the previous month at exceeding analyst expectations of 8.8%. That'll be something to watch here throughout the day in the market trade as we see the ag sector Fairly mixed and now pushing back to the upside, traders, they're taking a look at weather risk in the Midwest ahead of the critical reproductive growth phase for the nation's court of soybean crops and also following progress in talks over opening up Ukrainian ports for export shipments, meetings going on between Russia, Ukraine and Turkey and the U.N. Now, Commodity prices generally dropped as the inflation data hit earlier this morning, but have rebounded since again with corn leading to the upside. livestock trade, cattle pushing down moderately while the hog market is showing some strength. Looking at a few of our numbers, corn for September up 13,607. August beans up 6.5, 14.74 3 quarters. September Chicago wheat up 10, 8.24 a quarter. September Kansas City wheat up 6.5, 8.74 at a quarter. Spring wheat September up four and three quarters, 9.23 and a half. July hogs 92 Two higher 11452. August Live Cattle down 45 136.22. August feeder cattle down 87-178.70. August crude oil up 9 cents a barrel, 9593. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting.
5: You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding.
1: We're fighting macular degeneration.
5: Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire
1: spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund,
5: we fight, we We win, win. we, 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 we are are the the Foundation Foundation Fighting Fighting Blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness.
1: Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Thanks for taking the time to tune in to the show today. You know, as I mentioned, I'm here in Washington, D.C. with our friends from the National Corn Growers. But while I'm in D.C., I figured this is the time to get out face to face and talk to the folks that are shaping policy and regulations here in D.C. So to do that, we are joined now by Ethan Lane. He's the vice president of government (laughs) affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, thanks for coming by and talking in person.
9: Thanks for having me here. You know, usually when I talk to you, I'm in a rental car on a speakerphone, trying to hold it out over my head. This is pretty cool, It's
1: studio and headphone on and the whole thing. Yeah, the full works. Let's talk a little bit, Ethan, first about the, the state of Congress heading into this summer. We've got a lot of issues <clears throat> on their plate. Supreme Court has got some folks riled up. There's a lot of cattle-related, meat-related bills pending in this Congress any chance for any of them to make it to a full vote, neither the House or the Senate?
9: You know, I I think that we've seen sort of the crescendo of real popularity for those bills in the Senate Ag Committee. Throughout this process, that has been the real strongest base of support for both uh, the the current fisher grassley compromise, the previous iterations of the Fisher-Grassley compromise. The individual Fisher and Grassley bills before that, and all of their cousins and siblings and everything else that kind of resemble them-
7: all of those were
1: the the precursor to the cattle market price discovery and transparency bill. Correct. And,
9: and, you know, that's all kind of culminated in that bill that they debated a few weeks ago in the Senate Ag Committee and marked up alongside uh, the the Special Investigator from Eat and Poultry Act. And you know, that has been the sort of strongest base of support, particularly for the Fisher-Grassley uh, the special investigator has been identified. I think as a bit more of a broad sort of uh, consumer price focused win for the Democrats. You know, the White House kind of likes it. They like the idea of telling consumers they're lowering the price of steak right. by, you know, sticking it to the to the industry and, and investigating. And it looks like they're tough on meat, right?
1: Right, and <clears> that's <throat> the, the the meat and poultry special investigator Correct. bill that got rolled in with a whole bunch of other components. In the
9: House side, it got rolled in. So oh. you remember you've got you know kind of parallel track conversations yes. going on. On the House side, uh, Chairman Scott did a Food and Fuel Act of 2022 bill, and that had the special investigator, the the House version of that bill, which uh, was slightly changed in committee, a uh, few tweaks to, to where that investigator would live inside USDA. Okay. You know, that's been our big objection to that bill is, uh, you know, you have a Packers and Stockyards Division that has authority and oversight over uh, this this universe already. They're grossly underfunded. You know, mm. grossly understaffed. Forty percent
1: underfunded, fifty percent understaffed, and they are part of the USDA. This is Correct. a USDA department that just Absolutely. isn't isn't getting its share of the pie.
9: Right, and when you talk to PNS staff and their bosses aren't listening, you know they'll tell you we don't. I, I have the authority I need. I, I have the ability to subpoena. I have the ability to uh, to go after bad actors if I need to. What I don't have is bodies. Mm-hmm. I don't have people in seats to help me do this job. So our concern with creating this new special division, um, you know, focused on this stuff is why aren't we fixing what we've already got? And why aren't we funding that entity first? And then let's see what's left that, that needs to be, You know, we're all for oversight, we're all for aggressive oversight of the market, but we have tools in place that we're not using. So abandoning those and saying, no, 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 we're over here now and we're doing that seems like sort of bloated government to us.
1: And I, I <clears> believe it's worth mentioning that that special investigator position that would be created at USDA was an unfunded position. So it would be the creation of another under investigatory investigative department
9: that's correct and you know in the president's budget for this year he requested 30 more full-time employees at packers and stockyards which is which is great Okay. Um, and then kind of alluded to this special investigator so you know there there seems to be a bit of kind of like you know throw everything at the wall and see what sticks but i mean we continue to refocus on hey let's let's make sure we're funding what we've already got because that division feels they can do the job and and they're just asking for the resources to do it and we agree that's the the logical place to do that you know not to mention the fact that of the 2100 uh, cases at PS last year less than 1% were competition focused so what are these folks going to be doing all day um, you know in in working in this 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 into the universe we've heard in the months since this bill was introduced talk about the need for more special investigators on the on the input and the you know the fertilizer and feed side and some of the some of the, the competition issues there the baby formula thing yeah. led to a letter from I think Senator Booker and others you know somebody should look into this and form a, a special investigative unit. I mean, if we're not careful, we're gonna we're gonna kind of one off ourselves to death with these little these little special yeah. projects. When we have tools in place, we're just not funding them appropriately.
1: So, with that being <clears> said, <throat> with that bill, the lower food, lower fuel costs. You mentioned the White House has kind of taken a shine to mm-hmm. it. Does that give it the better possibility of getting over the finish line, or is Congress just stalled now until the election?
9: You know, I, I mean, I, the putting on my political hat for a minute, I don't know yeah. if the president's coattails endorsing something has much weight with anybody at the moment. Um, Um, And I I think that's a bit of why we're seeing so much interest in this. They're looking for something to grab onto and say, look Mm -hmm. what we're doing. Look at the good work that we're doing. Um, You know, the Fisher-Grassley bill has has gone through all these different kind of iterations over the years. They were kind of hot on that for a little while. They were referencing it in the, that series of press releases they did um, when they did a couple different events sort of swinging at the Packers and mm-hmm. doing some things. Um, they kind of referenced that for a while and then they really sort of switched gears on the fly and went over to Special Investigator. We haven't heard much mention of Fisher-Grassley from, from the White House since then. I think part of that is that it's it's just not a, a real feasible solution, it's not gonna do what the, the the drafters of that bill want it to do. And we, you know we can say that with some authority because we've been doing that voluntarily for two years now. And and what we saw as part of that voluntary program is we can get we can get cash cattle numbers up all day. The feeders are happy to do that. They've done sure. that, and they gave up leverage to do it. So, mandating that is going to arm the packers with even more ability to dictate who gets, you know, an AMA, yeah. who goes on the cash market this week. Uh, it, you know, it, it's going to empower them unintentionally more than they already have been. Um, you know, that's a shame because other parts of that bill are are, are good. Um, but in its current form, you know, with this big package, uh, it's just it's just not the solution this industry's looking
1: for. All right, well, another conversation I hear a lot in the cattle industry, because it touches both sides of, of production and, uh, and really, well, both sides of production, is immigration. Uh, I know you've got ranchers who are members down along the southern border, who are seeing folks mm-hmm. cross the border, run across their land, it's an issue. And then, of course, we need folks working in the processing facilities here in this country. Yep. D- Is this conversation taking root in DC? Are there serious conversations about immigration happening or immigration reform? Kind of, okay. you know. I, I mean, I, I don't mean to be flippant
9: about it, but you know, we have that ag, the ag labor bill that's been floating around up there for a year and a half, two years now. Um, it, it it doesn't get nearly as far down the road as it needs to. There aren't nearly enough year round visas, and for us in the in the cattle community, we need those year round workers. Right. Seasonal doesn't do a lot of good it, it when doesn't. you got a
1: cattle cattle beef on feed all year. That's right,
9: and 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 quite frankly, one of the biggest pro- labor problems in the U.S. cattle industry is the labor shortage in the U.S. processing industry. Mm-hmm. Right, we need. throughput we need them to be fully staffed and processing product and as we look at these new plants that are being contemplated and coming online they're running into the same problem their 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 competitors are already having in the marketplace, which is finding workers. That is the biggest problem plaguing the industry and has been since before COVID. So you know we're really trying to figure out how that bill can be made in the Senate into something a little more impactful. Forty thousand uh, visas, twenty thousand of which are are bucketed for dairy. Uh, you know coming out of the gate, and we love our friends in dairy, and they, you know they're all part of the industry. But I mean, there's a much bigger need, and we need to be much more sober and serious about what. Really constitutes ag labor Mm. in 2022. You know how big is that supply chain, and where all does that go? I could sit here and make the argument today that ag labor uh, probably could use more truck drivers right now too. I mean, there's a lot of places in the supply chain where we're seeing pressure that aren't traditional block and tackle agriculture, but are are, are sure a big impact to us at the moment. Um, But that doesn't that doesn't mean that we don't have some real concerns about what's going on at the southern border. You know, those those producers down there will tell us they they lose fence lines those pastures are gone. They can't use those resources, and you put them back up, they lose them again the next week. You know, it's it's this constant drumbeat of of assault down there, um, and and it's really getting frustrating, I think, for them after years of putting up with this. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm from Arizona, and it, that's something we've heard about. You know, where I'm from, my, my whole life, and friends and family that ever ranches down on the border. I mean, that's something they've lived with forever. Yeah. Um, and and it is a it is a difficult balancing act to figure out how you how you solve that. But there's no question, the labor is needed.
1: It is. But but there's no certainly no chance of any immigration reform passing before I, the midterms. I, I would imagine. I would be shocked if they were able to get
9: their arms around that in the next few months.
1: <laughs> All right. I was curious. Farm bill. Looking ahead to next year, of course, you know cattle cattle issues are taken mm-hmm. up in the farm bill. I wanted to ask you about the vaccine bank. We've been talking vaccines as a society for the past two years. Has that changed the conversation around securing and maintaining that foot and mouth disease uh, vaccine bank?
9: You know, I think the, the the bank that was secured in the last farm bill is is. Dur- it's there. It doesn't need to be reauthorized in the new Farm Bill, which is which is a really uh, good thing, especially going into what is most likely going to be a flat Farm Bill at best. You know, flat
1: in that there's no major changes projected. <clears throat> is that what you mean? I'm talking about money.
9: Oh, so so I mean, it, it, you know, when we think about the last couple of years, we've really gotten used to big checks in Washington, right? Whether it's CFP, which you know we were a part of, or any of those different programs, it has been a money party to the tune of what seven trillion dollars in additional government spending that is That is going to change after this election. if there's one thing I can guarantee you, looking into my crystal ball, if Republicans take back over anyone who remembers two thousand and ten when that Republican wave came in, you will see the fiscal hawks come out okay and and when you when you do that you're going to be looking at a farm bill that is not going to have extra money to go around and 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 do things with, and that's That's a big deal because you know we have uh, we have a real need in the cattle industry to make sure that that our producers have access to conservation programs, voluntary conservation programs that truly work for their operation. We have a massive increase in the use of LRP in the last two years. I mean that program was really underutilized and the changes RMA has made since May of 2020 has made that far more attractive to producers. Um, Exponentially bigger use and engagement in that program but that means a bigger price tag too, right? That's going to spur a lot of that conversation as we get into next year and we're not going to be having that in this current environment of well right. how much you need you know we, there's more where that came from i mean we're going to be in a much different environment of, of kind of like no there's nothing then we're going to have to split what we do have amongst multiple programs so reading right. back to your original question i mean that that fmd it's bank having be having what it needs is a good thing right Perfect. we don't want to be renegotiating numbers but the need right. continues
1: that's either lane folks vice president government affairs and cba will have more aoa when we return Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
6: I'll take Dig a Little, Learn a Lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a Little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win.
4: (laughs) Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection. Which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station.
6: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end, but good in you can live on. In fact, You could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
3: We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we Light the Night. Find your local event at
5: lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them.
0: If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we
6: understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help. If you have questions,
3: the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight.
6: We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care and local support,
5: Give you tips for living a better life. And share the latest research.
0: Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's.
3: To learn more, please go to Parkinson.org.
0: Or call
5: 1-800-473-4636. That's 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better lives together.
0: Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong.
1: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Well, folks, thanks so much for tuning in to AOA here on this Wednesday, July 13th. You know, we are going to have a lot more conversations coming the rest of this week. I'm very excited. Tomorrow, we're going to be speaking with Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. USDA has been making some moves to increase competition in the meat space, and Secretary Vilsack will join us and break that down. So do be sure to tune in on tomorrow's show. But before we go for today, of course, we are seeing a lot of balance sheets adjustments on farms across the country. Is machinery values continue to remain elevated joining me to help break down this issue in a little more detail now is andy campbell he's the marketing and machinery trends director over at tractor zoom and andy thanks for joining us today
4: well thanks for having me mike
1: i want to talk first about how machinery sales have gone here over the past two or three months we get into planting time andy i imagine we've seen a bit of a decline in the number of machines offered for sale
4: we certainly have, and we really started to see a shift in April, uh, both in the volume of machines at auction, and then we also saw a bit of a shift, too, in what people were searching for. Starting about mid-April, you know, a lot of farmers searching on tractors, you were going from your larger row crop tractors, and they started to seek out a little bit more in combines. But yeah, overall, just the volume, uh, especially in May,
1: was down significantly. It's interesting that you mentioned that growers were starting to look for combines, Andy, over the past two years. My goodness, we have heard so many concerns about supply chains disrupting during harvest and growers not able to get parts, not able to to get the machines they want by harvest. What's that doing to the combine marketplace here this
4: summer? Right. It's uh, it's something we've been watching really closely and uh, it's it supported it. Uh, you know we really, Starting in January, started to see the combine market take off even more. We thought it was already at a, a pretty good clip, a pretty good price. But January, February, and March were strong. Now May was a little bit lower because farmers were planting, but uh, June was going to be the big question mark. Were we going to still continue to see high prices? And we did. Throughout all of June, we were really surprised <clears throat> with some of the values that were coming across. Uh, for all different classifications of combines and for all different set power categories. Uh, and even most recently, uh, we're seeing them high. Well, give us some, some
1: updates here, Andy, when you talk about these, these sales prices being high, are they higher than last year on comparable sets of machinery? Do we continue to see appreciation or are we just seeing very, very slow rates of depreciation now in machinery?
4: No, no. Uh, you know, I've got one great example and it actually just sold two days ago. So it was a Challenger 670. Uh, I think it sold up in Wisconsin. You know, it had 880 step hours on it, so still a relatively young machine. Uh, and I was looking before the sale. I was looking for comparables, and there was one comparable sold last year, almost the exact same date, but it only had 470 step hours, so almost half as many step hours. And I was really using that as the judge, saying, you know, if this combine could get maybe. 50. It would indicate a really strong market. You know, even in the high 40s, I still thought that the market would be pretty strong. Well, the, the auction closed about 5:30 on Monday, and it brought the exact same price, 57,500, with twice as many step hours. And it's a challenger. It's uh, you know, those don't typically go through the roof. It's usually some of the John Deere uh, later models. But it's just a sign of what we've seen so far in July of really strong support on these combines
1: absolutely so i just want to make sure i got that right so the same model tractor with twice the number of hours brought the same money as one with half the number of hours that sold was it a, a year prior exactly yep this combined holy prior, cow
4: exactly yeah and again this is not an isolated sale we looked at uh 680 that sold last week up in north dakota um and we have a price prediction model on trackers.com it's almost something where farmers can go on and and guess is it going to be what our model thinks? Is it going to be higher? Is it going to be lower? And they can kind of gamify it a little. Uh, and we were predicting maybe seventy-one thousand. Um, it ended up going for eighty-three thousand. Uh, it's just we're still seeing some very, very strong prices in combines.
1: That is unbelievable, Andy. Are we seeing these elevated prices because we're just not seeing many machines come onto the secondary market, or how do the numbers, I guess, the inventory and used machinery look out there?
4: Yeah, yeah, and I I do think that is the case. I mean, there's a lot of downward pressure, especially as of late with these commodity market dips that we've seen and the economy slowing a little. But but I think it's driven largely by supply and the fact that farmers, you know, they're still realizing that there's a good profit to be made and they do not want to be in the field in October and November and uh, be without a machine. And so uh, I think that's where the justification is coming from. And I've gauged what we think we'll see in Q3 here for auction sales and auctions were down last year in 2021, 38% over the year prior. So we already last year saw a depressed uh, resale market, and I would guess that this year, we're gonna see even 10% lower than that. Uh, based on-
1: And the- that's 10% lower, you're talking just total number of auctions out there.
4: Uh, not number of auctions, because we're actually seeing just as many, if not more auctions. So the auction- auctioneers are working their tail off. We're actually seeing a lot of auctions. It's just the count of combines, of good quality combines I'd maybe consider about some for 50000 or more. Um, they're just not there. Uh, they're not coming to auction, and it's also on the dealer lot too. Okay.
1: All right. Andy, as you look out into this fall, interest rates are going up. Do you expect that to start to cool this resale market here for farm machinery?
4: Uh, you know, the interest rates are interesting, and I could definitely see that affecting the new sale, uh, and it factors into it a little bit. Um, but I would say farmers know that they need a machine, so I don't really think it's going to cool it that much on the interest rate side. As long as the uh, commodity market is supported uh, and we don't completely have the bottom fall out of our cash grain prices, uh, I see this persisting for quite some time, at least throughout the end of this year.
1: Andy, do you see, in your conversation with folks in the industry, are we starting to see rebuilding of inventory at dealer lots?
4: Uh, you know, I talked to actually quite a few dealers just yesterday, and they're focused on that. And I know it's by category by category, uh, you know, like forage harvesters we talked about, and there are plenty of forage harvesters uh, that are out there okay. right now. But, uh, All right. but they're working on it, but not total, it's not solved yet.
1: All right, supply chain crisis still slowing it down. Our thanks to Andy Campbell, the Marketing and Machinery Trends Director at Tractor Zoom. Andy, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll have that conversation with Secretary Vilsack and some other conversations that impact the world of agriculture. We'll see you on Thursday for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
5: Would you know what to do in a poison emergency? Would you know whom to call? Well, the answer is Poison Help. 1-800-222-1222. Poison Help is a 24-7 government hotline staffed by poison experts. It's free to call and available in over 100 languages. Every second counts in a poison emergency. Don't waste it wondering who to call. Save Poison Help in your phone today. 1-800-222-1222.